That's the call of the scripture here, to leave behind apathy, indifference, and decay. And to be the people of God, nurtured and nourished by Him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you've been with us over the last few Sundays together, you will know we are steadily working our way through Revelation. And today we come to Revelation chapter 3 in our penultimate study. We're looking at the church in Laodicea. And today you'll find it on page 1917, 1917 of the church Bible that's available for you. Page 1917, Revelation chapter 3, and we're reading together verses 14 to the end of the chapter at verse 22. Most of you will know that the Apostle John is writing the book of Revelation around the year 95 AD. He was exiled to the Greek island of Patmos under the Roman Emperor Domitian. And he's writing a series of letters dictated by the risen and exalted Christ to churches in the area of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so he's writing to the church at Laodicea, beginning at verse 14 of chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us his inspired and holy word. Last Monday afternoon around 3 or 3.30, I was sitting with several other staff members through in the staff conference room, and we were planning worship for this Sunday and subsequent Sundays right up and beyond Easter and at one point in our meeting, all of us together looked out the window because it had become not just dull, but dark. And then the heavens opened, and for the next 40 minutes, the rain was extremely heavy. And when I saw it, I started to smile and reached into my pocket and brought out my cell phone because the day before, someone had sent me an email, and the email said this, My husband becomes very sad when it rains heavily. He stands there with his face pressed against the window. I probably should let him in. 
choir, thank you for enjoying that. <laughs> now, that works at a whole number of levels. It would not have got the same response if I had swapped over husband and wife, but I was wise enough to just stay with the one. And it's funny for this reason. You can't see where it's going, and the closing words force you to reinterpret everything you've already heard. And technically speaking, that is called parapristokian speech in the English language. And comedians use it all the time. You think they're going in one direction, and then the closing words force you to reinterpret all that's going on. And it always comes as a surprise. That's what makes it funny. Now, the passage we're coming to in Revelation this morning comes as a surprise to us. Because last Sunday, we, as you know, have been working our way through the churches, and last Sunday was Philadelphia. Today is Laodicea. Philadelphia, the letter to Philadelphia, is warm in tone. It's encouraging. It seeks to strengthen and enable the folks in Philadelphia who thought that they really didn't amount to much. They believed themselves to be small and ineffective in ministry, and Jesus was encouraging them to think the very opposite. And in fact, he finished by saying to them, you have before you an open door that no one can shut. And so we left last Sunday morning on that great high note of the enabling, transforming, empowering grace of God. But this morning, when you come to the latter part of chapter 3, the language that used is stark and bleak and challenging, and Jesus speaks in surprising tones in the letter to the church at Laodicea. So, as we come to Laodicea, let me encourage you to come with me, please, and listen all the way through. Challenging, stark, graphic at the beginning, but towards the end... It is very encouraging and strengthening and reassuring. Way back in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when Samuel is choosing the next king of Israel, and he thought he had the Lord's anointed and the oldest and the firstborn of Jesse's son, and God almost taps Samuel on the shoulder and tells him this, Man looks at the outward experience, or excuse me, at the outward appearance, but God examines the heart. And that principle is shown right here. And so when Jesus begins to speak to the church at Laodicea, notice how he begins. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now, let me pause there for a second, because as soon as we read that, we're asking ourselves, why does he begin with an amen? Because whenever we pray, or sometimes we finish a passage of Scripture, we will finish with the word amen, because we know that the Hebrew word amen, translated, means verily, verily, or truly, truly. And when Jesus writes and says to them, these are the words of the Amen, what he's saying is this, that what I'm about to say to you is true. You can build on this. What I'm about to say is reliable, it's significant, it's insightful, 
It is true, and it is for you. Now he's got their attention. It's a little like after lunch today or tomorrow morning, your cell phone goes off, and you answer your phone, and the voice on the other side says, good morning, this is uh, John Smith. I work for the IRS. Now, that person has your attention from that point on. That's the kind of thing that's going on here. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, what I'm about to say comes from him who is utterly trustworthy, utterly reliable, him, in fact, who is creator and ruler of all things. Those are important words. He's now got their attention. He is the first principle, the moving force and cause and source of all life. And now they're paying attention. Now they're sitting up. Now they've got it. And he says, I know your deeds. He knows them comprehensively, exhaustively. Every desire, every motivation, every word, every thought. He knows them fully. Back in Psalm 139, God is talked of in these terms. You know when I sit and when I rise. You know when I go out. You know when I come in. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. That's what's going on here. He knows everything. He doesn't have to examine them or get their pulse or their temperature or swab around. He knows everything about them. And now he has their attention. And he continues, I know your deeds. They are neither hot, or excuse me, they are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, why does he speak in these terms? You need to know a little of the location of the church at Laodicea. The neighboring cities were Colossae and Hierapolis. Colossae we know a little about because of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at at Colossae, known, of course, as the Epistle to the Colossians. And the Epistle to the Colossians we used as our call to worship this morning. And it focused on Christ as Creator. And so those same themes of Christ as the creator, the ruler of the whole universe, is also a theme used here in Laodicea. But because of their location, Jesus uses the location and all that they live with each day to make a spiritual point. The church in Laodicea had no natural source of water. And so they piped their water in through a series of viaducts from approximately six miles away. And by the time it got to Laodicea, there were often times and seasons in the course of the year when the water would arrive look warm. It was tepid. It was pitiful. You would not want to drink it. They would take it home, of course, and boil it, uh, and then use it or seek to of course, make it cold and refreshing. And it would come from Hierapolis. Or excuse me, it came from Colossae, cold water from Colossae. If you drank it at Colossae, it was cold and refreshing. 
Hierapolis, on the other hand, had underground springs that were warm. They were close to a volcanic area. And people believed that those waters had a medicinal property to them, and they were piping hot. Colossae, very cold, and hot is life-giving, it's refreshing, it's medicinal. Cold, of course, is also refreshing. I remember several times when we lived in the highlands of Scotland, I would go trekking in the course of the day, and what we liked to do was climb what was called Munroes. And Munroes, I think there's 170 of them across Scotland, are three to three and a half thousand feet. And after a full morning of walking, you would of course map out where you would break for lunch, you would take off your backpack and your jacket, you would take off your shoes and your socks, and you would dangle your feet in a stream. Now, you had to be very careful in the stream. It was refreshing, absolutely. And when you would drink it, it was so clear it was entirely drinkable, it would be so refreshing. And you would take it and, oh, and you would sit and rest and were renewed. Now, one of the things you learn when you're hill climbing or trekking frequently is you can only drink water that's upstream from the sheep. And if you don't get that, ask someone the way out, and they'll explain that to you. So you had to be careful. Now, there was nothing worse, of course, when you were hill walking in the summer, and you would put your vessel in, and you would drink, and it would be lukewarm. It was tepid, and inevitably you would spit it out. And that's the picture that's going on here. And what is happening here is this, that lukewarm water is incapable of providing refreshment for the spiritually weary, nor healing the spiritually sick. Now let me say that again. Lukewarm water was incapable of providing refreshment for the spiritually weary, nor healing for the spiritually sick. It was neither hot nor cold. And that was the image of the church in Laodicea. And the question is this. Why? What had happened in the life of the church at Laodicea? Because remember, the exalted risen Christ is writing to the church. And he is challenging them. And he's challenging them to remember who they once were. Here was a people who had been impacted by the gospel. They had once sought after spiritual excellence. They had once been nurtured and nourished by the Word of God. They had come into a saving relationship with Him. They knew intimacy with Him. They knew what it meant to have God walk with them day by day by day by day. So what had happened to make them change from that which was rich and refreshing and healthy to be lukewarm and incapable of feeding those who were spiritually in need. What had happened? Well, New Testament scholars suggest this, that the church at Laodicea, in the midst of a thriving textile industry, in the midst of a burgeoning financial center and a good medical school, had shifted their focus from the things of God 
to slowly but surely they discovered that they had more in common with the society and the culture around them than they had in the living God. And now they were defined by apathy, indifference, and were detached and decaying. Decaying. The church of God. No wonder, no wonder when Jesus said, not only do I find it distasteful, I find it nauseating that after all that you've been through, this is where you are. And of course, you and I know that the Scripture clearly teaches that whenever God gives us something good and healthy and wholesome, but whenever it's impacted by sin, it becomes twisted and it changes and becomes subversive to our spiritual life and we end up lukewarm instead of living for him day by day by day. That's what was going on in Leah this year now defined by decay and apathy and indifference. Now, having said all of that, let's move on. When Jesus writes to them, verse 15, or 16 rather, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. And yet you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What is going on here? The church at Laodicea are defined by who they are, their reputation, all that's happening in the city, where the culture is taking them and the society around them, and they have shifted so far that they are now poor and blind and pitiful and naked, spiritually speaking. And how does that happen? It happens not only when you shift and take that which is good and wholesome and twist it till it comes, becomes subversive and takes you away from the things of God, but also hear this. And let me see it clearly and succinctly as I can. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Scripture teaches us again and again and again and again that whenever we allow sin into our lives, it has a tranquilizing and an addictive effect on our lives. It has a tranquilizing and addictive effect on our lives and it brings with it spiritual blindness, spiritual blindness. And here is a church who believe themselves to be doing well, growing in their faith, maturing and nourishing the things of God, when in fact they were poor and blind and were lukewarm. And we know that whenever sin comes into our lives, and please hear this, sin is not simply a mistake. It's not simply a social faux pas, but sin impacts our lives and it brings with it not only spiritual blindness, but it debilitates and it cripples and it impacts families and it 
tears them apart and it breaks down relationships and it leaves individuals and families and communities and nations without hope, living miserable lives in fear and uncertainty. That's how serious sin truly is. And it's happening to the church in Laodicea. And Jesus is passionately saying to them, you have allowed it to become so much a part of your lives. I am not only nauseated, I am ready to spit you out. Folks, I cannot think too many other places in all of Scripture that this vivid graphic language is used because that's how serious it has become. Deadly serious. And they've become so much like the society and culture around them, they can no longer see it. Thankfully, And mercifully, the passage doesn't finish there. Notice what comes next. Jesus says, I then counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and buy white clothes to wear so you can cover your shamefulness and your nakedness and a salve to put on your eyes so you can see. What is he doing? He is taking the everyday things they are familiar with and he's using that imagery and that symbolism to make a spiritual point. And his last point there, of course, is this, that the salve I will give to you will take away spiritual blindness. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He takes away spiritual blindness. And he says to me, and he says to them, buy from me gold that has been refined, gold that is pure, gold that has the work of God. And what is he talking about? Spiritual gold, intimacy with the living God. That's what he's talking about. It's one thing to have gold and investments and a good pension plan, and it's healthy and good, but it will not last through eternity, and it cannot give you what he can give you. That's the point he's making. And then finally, we get to what is the most encouraging section of the letter at verse 19. And he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Those of us who are parents or grandparents or great-grandparents here this morning, when we have wee ones around the home and they're about to touch something that's hot, we say, don't touch that. It will burn you. We discipline those we love because we love them. And that's what he's saying to the church at Laodicea. When you hear this, when you begin to get it, when you understand the challenges that is before you, also remember, I love you and I am refining you and rebuking you and discipling you and disciplining you because I love you. And notice what he says. So be earnest and repent. Here I stand at the door and knock and knock 
and knock. And if you let me in, I will come in and eat with you and you will eat with me. And I will take you and place you beside me on my throne. Now, what is he saying at this final section? And if he is saying this to the church at Laodicea, what is he meaning here? Well, what he is saying is this. That when folks who have walked a Christian path for decade after decade, there is a primary lesson that we need to remember again and again and again. Whether we've walked with the Lord five years or ten years or forty years or fifty-five years. And it's this, that he will consistently knock on the door of every area of our lives because he knows us and knows us exhaustively. Every motivation, every desire, every situation we find ourselves in, he is asking them this, are you submitted to him in your place of work? Do the people in your office know that you have a genuine, credible faith? Do you live the Christian life at home? A mother, a father, a grandparent. Would your next-door neighbor know that you love and worship him? Can it be seen in your life? Because if there are areas in the deepest recesses of our heart and mind and soul where we close the door to him, we are not living for him. We are not cultivating and nourishing intimacy with him. We are saying it's okay in this area, and this area, and this area, and this area, but not in these areas that no one can see. Not in these off moments when temptation comes. Not when I give in to thoughts and action. I shouldn't be anywhere near. And when temptation comes, are you ready this morning to submit and surrender every area of your life? That's what's going on here. That's why he has been so graphic. That's why he's been so vivid. Because he knows this. If they are ever to be the people of God, he's calling them to be. Every area in their life must be surrendered and submitted to him. Because he's standing on the outside, sadly looking in. And sin... And rebellion will keep them at arm's length. And this morning, let me encourage you to surrender to him. Give it up. Be done with it. Walk away from it. To have intimacy with him is so much more refreshing, so much more renewing, so much more invigorating to be forgiven and renewed and strengthened and enabled to walk with him again. That's the call of the scripture here, to leave behind apathy, indifference, and decay. And to be the people of God, nurtured and nourished by Him. What a challenge this week as we go into a new week and a new month. And may God make it so for each one of us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture before us this morning.
Enable us, flee, please, to be refreshed and renewed and transformed and strengthened by you. May we leave this morning in awe and wonder at your faithfulness and love towards us. Father, bless us, please, as we seek to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here at First Presbyterian, we're delighted to welcome you to our Easter services. Details are available online at fpceaster.com. Please come and join us, and I look forward to welcoming you.